0: during the cocktail hour while guests are just mingling and having a good time don't forget about dinner music that's very important to set the mood while guests eat and we definitely can't forget the party let's get the party started right now with the dna project www.dna project.ca for more information
1: hello bonjour and wagwan everyone thank you for listening today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by the dna project your entertainment you agency Please check out the dnaproject.ca for more details. It's also brought to you by the MPL, Toronto's modular film and audio studio. Please visit the-mpl.com to learn more. Today's episode, we sit down and talk with music therapist, Sarah Rose Black. Sarah Rose holds a master's degree in music education from the University of Toronto and a master's degree in musical therapy at Wilfrid Laurier University. She's the founder and coordinator of the first music therapy programs at Princess Margaret Cancer Center and Kensington Hospice in Toronto. She's also a Suzuki music educator, piano accompanist and singer songwriter. In this episode, we dive deeper into the use of music and the therapeutic relationship to promote health and well-being. We hope you enjoy it. This is the DNA Airwaves. Hey, thank you so much, Sarah, for joining us. Sorry, it's Sarah Rose, right?
2: It is, it is. Yeah, it's, it's a delight to be here with you both.
1: Yeah, great to have
0: you. Um, we're really interested in talking with you and just getting to know a little bit about what you do. Um, we do appreciate you taking the time. Maybe we'll just get right into it and you can let us know what it is that you do, your position, and just a little background on that would be awesome.
2: Certainly, certainly. Certainly. So I work as a music therapist at the Princess Margaret Cancer Centre in Toronto and also at Kensington Hospice, which is a 10-bed residential hospice where people are cared for right at the end of their lives. Okay. So um, my work is as a music therapist and a registered psychotherapist, as most music therapists in Ontario are, many of them. Okay. And I work with people from point of diagnosis at the cancer centre – right through to treatment, survivorship, end of life, palliative care, whatever the trajectory of what they deal with. I hang out with people and I use live music primarily and therapy to support them through the ups and downs, ins and outs of what they're going through. So that's me in a nutshell.
0: Wow. Right. That's powerful stuff for sure. Um, I mean... Just from that, there's probably a lot of questions that I have, but uh, what inspired you towards music as therapy?
2: So I have a background as a classical pianist. I grew up playing the piano, and I knew I always wanted to do something in music. So I did an undergrad in music, specifically music education at the University of Toronto. And I thought, that's it. I'm going to teach. That's going to be my life. And um, interestingly enough, as I I went forward in my teaching life, I realized that I actually cared more about my students' mental health than I did about their ability to play the piano. And it got me thinking, like, what? why is it that in a music lesson, a lot of stuff comes out and people want to tell me things and people have emotional reactions to music? What's that all about? So I um, started volunteering at the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. And I played the piano once a week, Um, didn't know what I was doing. I just showed up and played. And people reacted like you would not believe I got everything from tears to laughter to storytelling to anger. I got everything. And I thought, i got to figure out what's going on here. Right. So um, that's when I went back to school to become a music therapist.
0: Wow. Okay. Were you aware of that program um, prior to that?
2: Um, loosely, I kind of thought it was a little strange because I didn't understand mm. it. I didn't get <laughs> yeah. it. Like, what do you mean music therapy? And once I did a little more digging, I thought, oh, oh, yeah, you're a clinician. You're a professional. You are a musician, and you show up to people's experiences, whatever they are, with music and you support them with music. And once that became clearer, um, it it became really exciting.
0: That's pretty cool. Um, Initially, and I guess in your early days of doing this, were you playing or did you notice that certain genres or types of music were more impactful at that point?
2: This is a great question. So yes and no. The most impactful Hmm. genre you can use with somebody is the music that has meaning for them. Right. That's sort of my rule of thumb. And, um, I think people are often, you know, curious about new genres of music and certainly open to them. But when you tap into something that holds meaning for someone or has an association or a significance in their life, they just connect. And that's when the magic happens. Yeah.
0: Very true. And you were doing this as a group session initially too?
2: Um, It was pretty much one-to-one individual sessions, and then I expanded um, to do some group work. And most of my group work right now is with adolescents and young adults, so 18 years old to 39 years old. That's mostly the group work I do. But my days are filled with one-to-one sessions sort of at the bedside in the hospital and the hospice.
0: Very cool. Uh, I I imagine you didn't, but did you envision this becoming... Like, kind of, as big as it has as in your life, at least?
2: You know, I didn't know what to expect. And the, the people in my life, my family, I'm so supportive, but they also didn't know what to expect. They're like, what are you yeah. doing? I said, I don't know. I, we'll see.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: and I was lucky at, at Princess Margaret and um, at the hospice that uh, the psychiatry team, the social work team, they really welcomed me in with open arms, the palliative care team. They kind of got it right away. And they said, yeah connect with our patients, however you see fit. And so I'm, of course, accountable as a clinician. And I'm, I work with my teams very closely. I get referrals from different teams. Um, yeah. I, I rarely get a referral because someone likes music. That that, that happens. But right. I get referrals because people are really anxious, depressed, um, symptomatic, mm. alone, scared, things like that.
1: Is there a uh, like a particular case study maybe you could share with us without revealing obviously um the patient or too much information as far as confidentiality and just like one of the times where music really impacted a particular type of uh patient that you had?
2: I would love to. Yeah, I um it's interesting, when, when when I'm asked this question, so many stories come to mind, but yeah. I, I love telling stories about songwriting, because I do a lot of songwriting with people, but 9 times out of 10, 9.9 times out of 10, the people I'm working with have never written a song before, have never touched an instrument before, wow. and I invite songwriting in as a way to express themselves, so people look at me like, I can't write a song, and I right. say... You don't have to do the heavy musical lifting. I do that. You tell me your story. Mm. So um, I'm thinking about a young woman who we did a lot of live music together for relaxation, but she told me about her son, and her son was two at the time, just a a really little guy. And she said, I want to give him something that he can always have because I know that I'm not going to be around for the rest of his life. So I'd like to write something for him that he can have at his wedding so she and i wrote a song for her son her two-year-old son that he would then be able to play when he got married whenever that was so um she and i guided her um and i asked her you know what do you want your son to feel when he hears this song what do you want him to think about when he feels sad or misses you what are some words of wisdom you want to pass on. So she would tell me all of this, and together we crafted it into verses and a chorus and recorded it together. She would speak the verses. She'd say, you know, I want you to always remember this. I want you to always think of this. And I would play music in the background, and then I sang the chorus because she didn't wow. want to sing. Yeah.
1: Mm. Well, That's that goosebumps. Holy yeah. smokes! <laughs> wow. I'm not are crying. you familiar yeah. with the? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> are you familiar with the music and memory organization by any chance? Because I see some parallels there to the work that you do and the work that they do.
2: I am. I am. They, did they? Were you interviewing them recently? In a little um, a we while spoke, ago. We spoke yeah. to them a
1: couple months ago, actually. Yeah.
2: I think I saw that. That's awesome. So yes, I am familiar with their work, and I think we are all different sides of the same coin as it were or like different elements of the same sphere like we are all doing the same thing we just approach it differently which is so cool um and that goes for performers and teachers therapists music and memory uh, practitioners uh researchers we're all doing the same thing it's just we're approaching it from different angles so i love the work of the music and memory folks um i think it's extraordinary
1: yeah, for sure. Yeah, I agree. Which is kind of the reason why we even wanted to have the conversation with you to begin with. Because I'm just, we're both so really fascinated at the connection that music and just mental health and Alzheimer's and memory have in general. It's it's incredible. Really, really fascinating stuff.
0: Mm. Definitely.
1: Uh, so, when you started with the hospital, was this still
0: a brand new program at that point, or did they have something existing?
2: It was. They didn't have anything. And I'm really lucky that my my mentor took a chance on me. He was head of um, psychiatry and um, psychosocial care, we call it. Um, So Dr. Gary Roden said, okay, he said, I'll take a chance on you. And I did a student internship for about a year and a half. So I worked there as a student. And he said, you know, kind of show us what this is. And then we'll take it from there. I did a research project and hung out with lots and lots of patients and families. And uh, by the end of my time as a student, There was a a high demand for the service, so then it turned into a position.
1: Oh, wow. That's yeah. Can you share some kind of the research that uh, you have done to show the effectiveness of your work?
2: Absolutely. Yeah. I started out researching um, the experience of being a recipient of music therapy while on a palliative care floor. So we have Mm. a 12-bed palliative care floor at Princess Margaret. And I captured people's experiences through interviews and recording our sessions. And the two main themes that came out of that were comfort and connection. They felt Mm. so fundamentally comforted by having the music, um, it feeling really connected to this idea of... A lullaby of being soothed, of being cared for without words. So when they yeah. heard music, live music especially, that's what came up, and really connecting to their um, either their identities, their family members, themselves, to me. There was a sense of really linking, and that didn't yes. happen really with recorded music as much as it did with live music. But certainly, right. there were elements. Um, I recently finished my doctoral research, and that was in the experience of music therapy during assisted dying,
1: wow. which we know is wow.
2: now legal in, um, yeah. in Canada. So that was the focus of my, the last few years. And um, another research project that we're working on is the experience of adolescents and young adults doing group music therapy. So that's been okay. really cool, too.
1: Why did you, just out of curiosity, uh, why did you decide to focus on music related to assisted dying?
2: So, great question. When it became legal in Canada and Mm -hmm. people started requesting it at the hospital, they asked me to be there and it, it threw me for a loop. I didn't expect that. I don't know why I didn't expect that, but I just thought, wow, why music? Why music as part of MAID is the acronym Medical Assistance in Dying and I kept getting asked to come to these procedures and to work with these people beforehand and to connect with their family after and I got really curious and it really affected me being in this work and I thought mm-hmm. I need to I need to look at this from a research perspective so I had the privilege of working with 10 people and their uh, and 10 caregivers that were connected with each person and I got to spend time with them in the weeks leading up to their Procedure and then during their assisted death and then connected with their family after. So lots and lots of interviews and um I titled the study Exit Music. And that's wow. been uh Music. Wow. Uh,
1: Is that awesome. after Radiohead?
2: It was very much inspired by Radiohead. <laughs> <laughs> I love yes, that good song. call. <laughs> good call.
1: Wow. That's fascinating, fascinating stuff. I'm really uh yeah, I'm blown away at the connection that music has to our brains. And uh, do you know maybe what it is about live music that might be the a little bit more resonating with people as opposed to recorded music?
2: Yeah, yeah. So I think that, you know, the connections and the associations are, they're always strong with music, but mm-hmm. I always think that. It's the it's the reactions I can have and the adaptability of the live musician. That right. I I I notice if someone starts to cry, I slow the music down if someone starts to fall asleep. I um I watch for reactions and I then can comment on them afterwards or gently yeah. explore them with people. Like right. I've watched, you know, loved ones literally like curl up with their with their person in their hospital bed because they hear a song that meant something to them at their wedding and mm-hmm. wow. and then they can tell me stories and then I can react to that as opposed to the recording is so amazing and beautiful but it won't slow down or stop or hand you a right. Kleenex box if you start yeah, to cry yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's
1: true. Yeah. that physical connection and the energy that's shared in the room is probably so impactful as well For
2: sure. exactly, it's, it's all about the thing Relationship, like with any, you know, psychiatrist, therapist, counselor, that connection you make with someone, um, and people have to trust you in order to let you sing for them. I think when you're very vulnerable, and that trust can often be very therapeutic in and of itself. That I show up even if things are crappy, and um, I think that's the power of the live music therapist.
0: For sure. What does your typical
2: workday look like? Hmm. Um, I. I'm often in interdisciplinary rounds in the morning. So that means our whole team meets and our whole team discusses every patient. So that happens at the hospice, that happens on palliative care, that happens in bone marrow transplant. So I try and show up to as many team meetings as I can. um, And then I offer my perspective from what I've seen from the patient and I often get new referrals that way. So you know, the the physiotherapist might say, hey, Sarah Rose, like our guy in this room is having a really hard time with energy and motivation. Can you meet with them? Or, hey, Sarah Rose, this person is close to the end of life. They probably have a few hours left and the family wanted to have some music. Can you meet with them? So I kind of get, I I, I, triage is the word. I get my referrals. I think about who I'm going to see. And then I've got the day ahead of me to um, connect with different people and have sessions. But right now I have two graduate students working with me, which is so great. I have that um, once a year for a few months. And so I'm teaching a lot as well, which is really fun. Yeah.
0: Wow. How do you prepare yourself mentally daily or even throughout the day?
2: Mm. This is, it always feels like the million dollar question because, Uh, it can change day to day. And I feel like it's something that palliative care providers in particular, but healthcare workers in general, have to ask themselves every day. And some days I'm better than others. Um, It's certainly tough to show up to the work every day at times. Um, I rely really heavily on my team, like the docs and the nurses and the social workers and everyone from the housekeepers to the support staff. We all really rely on each other and, and check in with each other. Like, how are you doing? Do you need a break? Do you want to talk? There's a lot of that. Mm-hmm. But I am, um, I'm trying to teach my students and also encourage myself to take mm-hmm. those breaks. And I do a lot of running and journaling and biking and things outside of work that clear my head. Okay. And my own therapy is massive. I think every um, everybody should have access to some kind of support, but certainly checking in with my own supervisor and my own therapist is really important.
1: Therapy. Sorry. I'm, I'm Therapists go to therapists.
2: Yes. And I actually think it's vital. It's very, wow. very important. Yeah.
1: I did not know that. I, I don't know why I had that feeling that therapists never went to therapy.
2: It's a really common, it's a really common thought. Like you're, I don't think you're alone in that at all. And I think, um, at the end of the day, you know, we all are human and we all mm-hmm. react so much. Mm-hmm. And um I have had to learn that the hard way that I am not immune to struggling just because wow. I am a therapist. Right, I I, right. I need so much help. <laughs> so we all do. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we, we
0: all do. do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that,
1: we all do that's yeah. uh that's a great um perspective to have that's uh that's incredible. And also you um you
0: I mean I guess the darker side of that is or is dealing with loss, right? Because these are people that you work with and understand that they're not going to be around much longer in a lot of cases. That seems extremely traumatic. Uh, how does that affect you?
2: Yeah, so definitely acknowledging the loss and acknowledging as healthcare workers, we have our own grief. Right. And I think it's important to name it. I think sometimes we go about our days and we do our work. And then we, we shut down at the end of the day. And if we don't revisit it, like, wow, I really miss that particular patient and just naming yeah. it for ourselves and being honest with ourselves. It's so yeah. important. Um, I think avoiding it is really common, but I think very dangerous when we avoid how we actually feel. Mm. Um, so I try and honor the, the people I work with by, again, a lot of, a lot of journaling, a lot of, ritual. So, you know, it can be something like when I'm on a run and I'm by the lake, I might pick up stone and throw that stone into the water and think about one person that I've worked with that has died. So just symbolizing, um, I've lit candles before at home. Just if, if that person is weighing heavy on my mind or my heart, I try and do something small just to acknowledge them. Um, and then recognize that these people change us. Like in healthcare, you work with people and you never forget them and they affect you. And, you just day-to-day look for different ways to acknowledge that and process that.
0: Wow. In your, um, I guess, in your daily visits with patients, Oh, before that, do you play different instruments when you're with patients?
2: Oh, so typically I have a keyboard that I bring in. and it's, it's pretty decent what I have. It's not certainly not the same as a piano, but it works really well for yeah. what I need it for. Okay. I sing. And okay. those are my two main resources, but I also play the violin. Um, I play a bunch of smaller like auxiliary percussion things as well. So I use um, Tibetan singing bowls, which are very resonant. I use small drums if I just want to you know sing to someone and keep a beat. Um, but I, I don't really play the guitar, which is sort of my like little secret because most music therapists play the guitar all the time. Yeah, it just seems so) <laughs> But wow. I have, you know, ukulele sometimes if I want something just very small and gentle. But typically it's that keyboard and my voice that are my two main resources.
0: How would you decide what instruments or sounds to use or are, are suitable?
2: So much like any uh, clinician would walk into a room and do an assessment, I do an assessment when I meet someone. Uh, and I just get to know who they are, what their musical preferences are, and what they need from our time together. And that guides me. So often um, if people want relaxation, cool, I can use my keyboard, I can use my voice. If people have a strong association or want a very specific sound, I try and cater to that. Um, recognizing my limitations, of course. Sometimes I right. will pull up a recording. Like if they want to hear an opera, they want to hear an opera. And nothing right. will yeah. replace yeah. that. Yeah. So um, I do, it's all through my assessment process that I just uh, pick and choose. And... Um, and just encourage people to give me feedback, like what what felt good, what didn't, things like that.
1: Yeah, For sure. And over time, have you noticed that there's a particular instrument that seems to resonate better with a certain type of, um, I don't want to say illness, but certain type of patient that you might have? Like, are there characteristics that, you know, uh, I could probably reach for this?
2: Yeah. So it depends also if if people are playing music with me, like it would depend on their physical functionality. Like if they're having pain in their joints, I'm not going to hand them something that's heavy. So um, I have this beautiful drum that Remo makes. It's called an ocean drum. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it has ball bearings inside and you move it side to side and it just sounds like ocean waves. And it's super easy to use. So I might use that if someone doesn't have a lot of energy, but they want to just focus their attention and manage their pain and just distract a bit. Um, But typically I, I just try and stay really open when I'm assessing and not make any assumptions and just get feedback in the moment. So it's, it's pretty individual. It really depends on the person.
1: Right.
0: Very. Okay. Um, I guess we'll just ask you a couple more questions and uh, I know you have a busy day, so we do appreciate the time you've taken. Definitely. Um, perfect. Um, thanks. You know what? What are what are some future plans that you have to uh, expand
2: on the work that you're doing? Mm, I love this question because I, I I love dreaming about a world where music therapy is the standard of healthcare, that it's not a yeah, surprise. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. Um I love when patients kind of have heard of music therapy before and I love when they haven't because then I get to introduce it. But I would love to see music therapy as um a standard in all palliative care teams in all hospitals that uh, it's a therapist is always part of the interdisciplinary team. So I'm hoping to expand this to other hospital sites. Um I've been very lucky to wrap up my school with my schooling recently. So doing more Congrats. teaching as well at the university level would be fantastic. And awesome. just more programming, more music therapy and more opportunities for students to learn about music therapy.
0: Awesome. What can we do or what can others that are listening do to help or be involved in any level?
2: Oh, what a lovely question. Um, I always appreciate when people get curious about what music therapy is and spread the word about it. I think a lot of us know about it, but by the same token, though it's about 50 years old in Canada and much older in the States and in Europe, it's still new. So um, I think, having conversations about it, that this is a thing that is very real and very used in so many different settings from long-term care to labor and delivery. We're everywhere as music therapists and knowing that we are available. If you know someone in your life that you think could benefit from um, not a traditional approach to therapy, something a little bit different. Yeah. Um, reaching out, like reach out to me. I can give you guys resources um, and really Googling Music Therapy Ontario, Music Therapy in Canada. There's tons okay. of resources.
0: Perfect. Awesome. Well, definitely, yeah, we'll take whatever links or um, anything that points to resources. We'll put those in the show notes for sure for people to uh, take a look at and access. Awesome.
2: awesome. Yeah, it,
0: it's really been great speaking with you today. I... I would actually love to figure out a time where we can maybe get you in studio when things are a little different for us to navigate through and maybe even get some examples of the type of therapy that you're offering or something along those lines. I guess we can talk about that, but that would be awesome.
2: I would love to. I would love to. Yeah. Count me in and I'm happy to plan for that. That would be amazing to hang out in the studio
1: Awesome! Incredible! Thank you so much, Sarah. Um, sorry, sorry, Rose. Can you um, <laughs> give us your socials or any other type of websites you might want uh, our followers to check out or get involved or follow your story?
2: Yeah, definitely. So, uh, thank you both, first of all, so much for your interest in music therapy and and the great work you're doing as thank artists, you. as programmers, as as musicians. It's amazing. Thank and you. Performers. Um, yeah. So. Uh, from a music therapy perspective, I'm on Twitter at Sarah Rose Black, and I'm happy to send that over to you too. Perfect. But there's been a recent project that I've done, I've launched with my husband, who's a professional musician, and oh, nice. it's called uh, Pulse Music Media. And we tell stories of music and life and death and health and connection. And there's always a live performance at the end of each video, but we feature um different local musicians and we tell stories and so yeah that's pulse music Media. Awesome. Yeah, so check that out
1: just spelled like it sounds p-u-l-s-e
2: that's it yeah we're awesome. on uh, we're on twitter we are on facebook we're on we have a youtube channel that's our big source there
1: incredible definitely gonna check that uh youtube channel out thank Thanks, you again sarah and- really really appreciate it
2: oh thank you both so much and take good care and stay safe and looking forward to meeting you at some point
1: yeah
0: thanks so much you too
2: all the best
1: as a podcaster you know that great content is only half the battle The other half is finding the right hosting platform to reach your audience. That's where Captivate comes in. With unlimited podcasts, advanced analytics, and personalized support, Captivate has everything you need to grow your audience and monetize your show. Join the thousands of successful podcasters just like us who trust Captivate for their hosting needs. Visit DNAairwaves.com slash Captivate today to start your free trial.